Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, co-founder and CEO of We Aspire. Today on the show, we've got a very special guest, Sarah Frankie. She is a leader, talent quarter, and also a world champion powerlifter. What I love about Sarah is her mindset, her ability to think strategically, think long-term, and to see opportunities where other people don't expect it. I love that she's combined her passion for training in the gym to become a world champion and bring that into her business life. Let's dive in. Now, I'd love to start with your story into leadership. How did mm-hmm. you get there? Was it something that you you know, set out to achieve? Was it quite a natural path in your career? Uh, was it organic or are you a goal setter and planner? How did you get into your current role? Gosh, it's kind of all of those things, really. <laughs> I guess I'm from New Zealand originally and prior to, I've been in Australia for about seven years. So prior to that, I had a very different career. I was a graphic designer by trade. I lived in the UK for a number of years and was doing a lot of freelance stuff. Came back, came up to Australia and didn't know really what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do craft design anymore. So I actually was really interested in the disability side of things. So I went straight into employment services and I went into employment services at the ground, right at the ground. I think I think the salary I was earning was, was something I had when I sort of first left school. But that was okay. I was really prepared to learn. And I thought, no, no, I, I'm a huge believer in, in learning at the coal face. So whatever you do, whatever your team is going to be faced with, you should be abreast of that. You should know what that is. So I was really interested in the NDIS. And I intentionally was looking for roles within that sector. So I started off in employment services and then moved across to NDIS. And actually went to... Worked for a company called HTA, which is quite a big player in, in, in the recruitment space, really. And then I was given Sunshine Coast as a territory. So Sunshine Coast, actually, we had no customers. We had no clients. I had no staff. I had absolutely, I had zero. So it was very much a cold desk. In the recruitment space, you talk about cold desk, warm desk, hot desk. And a cold desk means you're starting from scratch, which means you're looking at about six months to a year before you can see any, any form of return. So it was very much baptism of fire. I really didn't know what I was doing. It was it was all new for me. But I thought, okay, great, great opportunity to learn recruitment, to learn business development, to learn rostering, to learn the whole, the whole shebang. So I set out and I did really, really well. And Sunshine Coast ended up being number one performing territory across Australia. So therefore I had gotten noticed by you know those that count <laughs> and worked my up my way up that well. So I became a team leader. So I was responsible for our Cairns, teams in Cairns, Townsville, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Gold Coast. Uh, I think it was about 12, 12 to 14 initially. So as a team leader, I had really improved on my knowledge on the NDIS. I was really good at relationship building. Learned that was really where I, where I learned to lead properly, I think, just trying to manage 12 very different people and also remotely as well. So baptism by fire definitely there. And then I was then promoted and was given the role of state manager for NJS for Queensland. And then across there, I moved to a couple other different companies and again had state manager roles. I moved into this role fairly recently because I had really noticed that there was a gap in the workforce that we really needed to look elsewhere. So I had very much had a vision of what I thought we could do and how we could alleviate the workforce shortage in, in the healthcare sector. So I approached Calcutta. 
um, her two fantastic empowered women. I presented my idea and they were embraced it wholeheartedly and said, yeah, let's do this. So I'm currently in this role now where I do international recruitment, but I absolutely love it. It's, it's just phenomenal. And we, we offer a real nurturing approach. It's, it's a hand-holding approach. It's a, hey, if you want to come over, I've been there, I've done that, I can help you. I'm Sarah, you know, you can always talk to me. So it's it's very much personalised approach, which is very different to any other agency. Uh, so, yeah, so that was that's kind of my role in a, well, road in a nutshell. Amazing. And I want to just go back to the the start of that story where you've gone into a new industry, something mm-hmm. that is yeah, completely new, you're going to learn from scratch essentially, and then you're told it'll take you a year to build this mm-hmm. cold desk. How like how did that feel for you? Because I think some people, and something I'm really noticing really recently is that it takes time to build business. It takes a long time. And I think we often underestimate how long it's going to take. And I feel like, you know, there's so many overnight successes. And for those people listening, I'm doing the quotation marks because an overnight success isn't, it takes such a long time. How did it feel when you found out it was going to be a year? Did you just see it as a learning opportunity? What was your mindset and perspective going into that? Oh, gosh, I didn't actually know. Remember, I had my training down in the Brisbane office and I said, right, okay, so six weeks worth of training, whatever it was. I said, okay, great. Um, how many, what, what am I looking at? How many clients have I got? What staff have I got? And it was then they sort of said, oh, actually, there's, there's nothing. So it was then I sort of thought, right, okay, I'm, I've got my work cut out for me. But, but look, I actually just saw it as an opportunity. I'm, I'm really driven. I'm really focused. So I just thought, great, okay, I've got a great opportunity to influence the way that this is run, the way that this is going to grow and and how I can make it efficient, how I can make it work really well. So I really looked at it as great. Only thing I was nervous about was NJA's knowledge is it's a very complicated sector. It's constantly changing. And I was just worried about my my, my knowledge. But I soon came up to speed and then that, that was not a problem. So, yeah, I relished it. We had some great cases. I mean, I dealt with a lot of high complex cases. So I used, I was working with the nursing side as well. So, for example, we had a, a customer who was in Redcliffe Hospital. She was a tetraplegic. So all she could do was move her eyes. Um, it was just at the start of COVID and Redcliffe was looking to try to get as many people out of the hospitals as possible who were capable of being out, out of the hospital. This particular customer had an NDIS plan and she had a home ready to go to, which was a customised for her and, and her family. They were going to be coming up as well. A lot of providers are very cautious about taking you on as a client because of her risk of passing, uh, which was very real. So I had spoken to sports coordinator who had spoken to me about this particular woman. Uh, I felt that with HCA and the the sheer size of the company and the experience certainly on the nursing side that we were in a really good place to be able to, to look after this woman and take her home. We we all knew that there was a time frame, but my goal was to, if she can get home and be with her family for a certain amount of time, for, for as long as she's got, then we should do it. So we did it. And it was a groundbreaker. No one had had done that before, had taken someone who was so complex and, and managed her at home, for example, we had one ICU nurse 24-7 and two support workers 24-7 at all times. Wow. So, yeah, it was, um, but it was really rewarding. So it's those types of things that, that I really loved about, about my job. Uh, and, you know, eventually she had a pass, but I was able to be part of her 
the joy of your family being at home with them. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And not just for that person, for her family as well. It extends far beyond that. And then the jobs you're able to provide. And I love that. Yeah. It sounds like you're you're great at seeing opportunities and you know what that you know potential gain could be for so many more people beyond yourself and beyond that one person. Mm-hmm. I'd love to now talk about your most recent role because I I really love that you've pitched someone and said, hey, I see this gap and see this opportunity. And I think that's a really helpful skill for other people who are looking to find an opportunity, find a new role, get promoted or, Mm -hmm. you know, potentially change uh, where they're at right now. And I think often we go, oh, well, what roles are advertised? I'm going to look for Mm -hmm. what's out there rather than uh, redesigning it yourself. So tell me a bit more about how you thought about that process and how you went about it or even pitch talent quarter. Did you know them before? I'd love to hear about that story. Sure. When you have a vision and you're passionate about something, you put it together and you look and see who who might be, who's forward thinking enough. I mean, business, you have to be forward thinking. And given my experience in that sector, my knowledge of that sector, I had really analysed and worked out where that gap was and where we could really force capability easily. Um, so I put the strategy together. I'd thought about it for a long time, been in the space for you know a few years now. So and certainly even during during COVID, where, again, it was very, very difficult to certainly to get support workers. Just, it was just a huge shortage. So it was an idea that I thought about for quite some time. I put it together. Talent Quarter came about. I've got this fantastic mentor. And she's always advised me, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. She's, she, that's that's her, 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 her catchphrase. And someone I, if I'm unsure about something, uh, if I come up with an idea, and get a bit distracted, she'll say, stay in your lane, you know, forget the noise, it's just noise. And she knew the woman of Talent Porter. And she had said to me, I was chatting to her, and I said, oh, God, this is this is kind of this is what I really believe we should do, or someone should do. Um, and she said, Look, you'd be a really good fit for Talent Porter. I know, you know, I know these ladies really well. There's also a couple of other colleagues that had gone across and worked there and said, Look, these two ladies are phenomenal. They're really about empowering, not just women, um, they're just about empowerment. They're really forward thinking. They move quickly. They 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 want ideas. They be really collaborative. So I thought, gosh, that probably really suit my persona. So um, through a friend of a friend, she had then suggested that we have a meet. So we had a meeting. I presented, and they said, when can you start? So they were just wholeheartedly embraced what I had to say. And knew that it was the right move. They knew that it would take time because we have to build our brand over in New Zealand as well. It's not just, you don't just put something in the on the seat and, and expect a whole host of responses, particularly as, as we're positioning ourselves a little bit differently. You know, we're about nurturing, guiding. We want to make sure that, that the people that come across feel really supported um, because that's what the company's like as a whole. So, yeah, I had an idea. I had looked at Talent Quarter, had known that my colleagues rated it. They spoke really highly. Uh, and again, it was sort of considered that I would be a good fit, and I am. So they created this position for me. It didn't didn't exist before. But definitely, and this is the thing, I presented this idea a couple of times before and been knocked back. So it's about taking the knockbacks, but still believing you've got the right, the right move, the right strategy, the right idea. And then finally, someone someone will believe in you. They will go, yeah, you're right. Um, and here we are, and we're really successful. We're doing really, really well, and we've been going since June with this particular division. Um, and it's it's going down so, cool. so it's great. 
such a cool story. And I, I love that you said, you know, it wasn't the first time that you pitched it, which I assumed it was. So I think that's also helpful to know that, you know, you can get knocked back. Things, you know, it doesn't always go perfectly the first time, but you saw it was a good idea and a good opportunity and you backed it. And just what you're sharing about your story, there's a few things that stood out. You talked about being good at building relationships, being really driven. It sounds like you really self-aware and aware of who you are and your strengths and how they could add value to some to someone or an organization. Is that something that you, you know, really put in effort to to know or you come across as very confident? Are those things that you've developed or you've specifically gone to work on to learn more about yourself? And then kind of sounds like you really share those powerfully in, like I said, how they add value to someone. I think confidence has is something I've developed. Um, I've always had strong ideas. I've always known what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were too and how to work on them. But in terms of being confident and saying, actually, no, I really believe in this. I've had to learn to develop that because um, often, you know, particularly if you're in room of naysayers and you're saying, hey, no, this is my idea. I really believe in it. If you don't believe in it, and if you're not confident, then you can't expect them to. So I've really had to learn to go, actually, no, and this is the rationale. This is why I believe that I'm passionate about about this way forward. So I really learned to have a voice. Um, it's definitely not something that that was necessarily there. I think also, but as you know, we've talked about previously when I do bodybuilding and I do powerlifting, those sports, not traditional female-driven sports, they have been in the past very male-dominated. So they've really helped me to... Um, shape the person I am as well uh, because stepping into a man's domain and often business is stepping into a man's domain even in this day and age it still can have that edge to it so I really learned from those two sports and I still do them it's really helped me just grit my teeth and you know be be really confident and be really proud of who I am and what I can bring to the table so cool I'm so glad you mentioned the power of thing because I did want to jump on that power so inspiring that you do this and really when we first met and you shared that with me it really changed my perspective and I'm someone who's very passionate about diversity and I think I've done a lot of work on looking at what my biases and mm-hmm. I love that about your story that not only in your work life you're kicking goals and successful but also you have a success outside of work so tell me how you even got started in powerlifting and tell me about your journey in that okay um, well, I'm 52, so I got into powerlifting very late. I actually got into powerlifting off the back of bodybuilding. So I've done 15 bodybuilding competitions. I did my first one when I was 40. Um, and I'm actually pretty strong. I mean, I'm only five foot, <laughs> but pretty muscly and uh, just strong, quite, quite naturally strong. And my bodybuilding coach had said, look, why don't you try powerlifting? And I would said, oh, have you seen the suits? I mean, no way, you <laughs> know. And powerlifting is such a male thing. And he said, you do really well. And I was I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified when I went up there for the first time. But I did it. And everyone was so supportive. I was actually very surprised at how supportive. There were a lot of women that were doing it. It's actually a really, uh, it's actually spoiling the increase for women these days, which is fantastic. I think the persona's changed. I think... Perhaps in the past, there was a certain persona that was attached to a woman that did powerlifting, whereas I'm proof that you can still be feminine and strong and, you know, enjoy the sport and um, and same as all the other women do it. So 
it's become a lot more mainstream than what it used to be. And like I say, everyone's really supportive. So I went up there for my first lift and terrified, almost dropped the barber's bench, but you know, I helped my nerves on the second one. And I ended up getting my Australian record. So I was, I'm currently for my age and weight, Capo, Capo is the federation. Australia is a master's champion for my age and weight. So yeah, so I did really well. So I've done three in total and I would like to do another one, but I'd like to drop weight for that one if I can and try and get another record. And look, I'm a single mom too. So there's a lot on the table. There's a lot of balls to juggle, but we all do. You know, everyone does. Any working mother does. Um, but powerlifting, my daughter, she's she knows how to deadlift. Uh, she knows how to do the three compound moves. So they do, you know, the gym where I train. They do kids' classes there too. So it's, it's therapeutic. It's empowering. It's good for the mind. It's good for everything. So, yeah, I love it. That's so cool. I love that you've gone from terrified to world champion. <laughs> That's amazing. And oh, I, I know for me, I got into triathlons and, yeah. and I said the same thing about the suits. I was like, I don't want to wear a triathlon suit. That looks ridiculous. And I was like, I'd never worn, you know, like leggings before because I was <laughs> conscious about how my body looked. So yeah, I've now done several triathlons and I don't really care about it anymore. And for yeah. me, it's really about even though I'm not fasted or do well, it's about doing something that I didn't think I could do. And that gives me so much confidence in myself and uh, then helps in, in other areas of my life. So it sounds like that's really helped you in your journey too. Would you say that, that it's helped you build oh, that confidence, build your confidence? Yeah. Oh, def definitely. I mean, it's hard to, I think when you, like I've, moved, I've lived in a couple of different countries, but it's also hard when you come to a new country, you know, Scent might be fairly fresh and, and you're sort of trying to find your way. Yeah, that, those things, that, that's hard too. And people don't give that enough credit. You know, so that knocks your confidence a little bit as well until you sort of find your feet and you think, okay, I know everything is. I sort of understand the lingo a bit more. Um, but it all builds resilience in the end. And isn't that what, certainly what leadership's about and just life is about, you know, those, those life skills, that resilience um, and the ability to, keep pushing forward because what's, what's the choice, you know? You just have to keep going going forward. And you learn so much about yourself by stepping out of your comfort zone, both in business and outside of that in a sport like triathlons or powerlifting or bodybuilding or whatever it might be. You push yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And has it opened up for you? I mean, like for me, it was very much, and again, I'm definitely not fast at all, but Doing a 1.5k ocean swim, I'm really proud of wow. that. And so it opened up my mind to go, oh, well, if I can I can do that in like choppy waters off Mooloolaba, well, maybe there's other things I could do that I didn't expect. Has it opened up other opportunities for you that you might not have considered before? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that ocean swim, I mean, that would terrify me. I see all those people swimming over top of one another. I think, oh, God, I'm terrified of drowning. But it's those things that you sort of think, I really want to do the uh, – Kokoda Trail Run, how do mm -hmm. they do the all the different different lengths of the run? They do Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, I think, and you have a team. So I really want to do the Kokoda Trail. So absolutely, it just opens up so many more possibilities. You think, well, what's next for me? What else can I can I look to to try to achieve? And certainly that type of thing. I like trail running. I actually like running. I used to do a lot of half marathons and fun runs when I was a lot younger. Um, so yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, there's so 
much that I'd like to do. People people suggest things to me, and I'm like, oh, absolutely, I'm in. And I think, well, hold on, yeah. just you know, I'm the first one to say yes. And I think, well, hold on a minute, Sarah, just just whoa, whoa, whoa. Priorities, um, yeah. But I mean, I do boot camp three times a week as well. So like this morning, we went up to it was running up and down Point Cartwright, carrying stones, doing burpees, and playing press and all sorts of stuff. We're doing that for an hour. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I like to do all sorts of different challenges and yeah with you know with with other people that's fun too you sort of push yourself yeah. each other along so yeah I'm um I can be very I, I can be very team focused but I can also be very soul focused as well like I have solo pursuits like bodybuilding for example or even powerlifting it's not really a team sport but then I also like the team and the team environment it's great yeah. And mm. I think as a leader, it's important to lead yourself first and have that foundation before you can go lead other people and support them. So I think some of those activities and, you know, I feel like you've taken the full, you know, next level all the way being a world champion. It's just incredible. And, you know, that that's goes, you know, I've done that work on myself. Therefore, you can coach and train and develop other people. So had, do you think that's helped as well in leading teams and developing relationships with others? Definitely. I think I have a lot of people come to me and ask me for help with their fitness or whatever it may be. And um, mostly I listen. Mostly I just listen. Mostly they've kind of worked it out themselves anyway. I think that's probably key in anything. It's certainly in leadership. It's like a counsellor. You know, you go to a counsellor and you'll discuss your issue and they tend to guide you in the right path. But ultimately you've really worked it out yourself. Mm. So it's the same with any team members or, you know, team leaders that, that might have an issue with some of the team team members or whatever it may be it's just really sitting down and listening to what they have to say and then gently guiding and saying well okay what about that and then they've kind of figured it out themselves so it's the same thing with health fitness um, anything like that we've oh wow you know you look great could you help me and sort of say well okay well what's eating currently like and they sort of say oh it's terrible so straight away they already know they've already know that it's not great mm. so it's really just okay well what do you like to eat Oh, well, I like to eat this. Okay, well, maybe you should be looking at a food plan that's 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 primarily on that. Or how often do you move? So it's just by asking questions, listening, and really getting them to solve it themselves. Um, like I said, transfers across and everything. It's so interesting because I think a lot of people, yeah, really do know what's going on. It's almost like you've got to <laughs> admit the truth to yourself first. And my sister's an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I remember one day oh, okay. I was doing her boot camp which I always said to her I would go are you trying to kill me like is this punishment for being your older sister because it was hard it was really hard it was very challenging and I remember one day she said well how do you think you went and I was like oh okay normally I was used to the trainer kind of telling me things or instructing me and we debriefed on the car right on the way home and she said yeah most people or she, she said in her experience, like everyone has knows how they went. And if they stop and really think about it, they can self-assess and self-reflect. And I think we often don't do enough of that. We're kind of expecting or waiting for people to tell us what to do or kind of their perspective on it. But really, you know, we were in a race against ourselves at the end of the day. And that self-reflection was a really powerful insight for me to go, okay, let's just stop and pause. Have you found that's helped you as well? And that sounds like that's a lot of the coaching you do with your teams is that self-reflection. Absolutely. Um, you know within yourself whether or not you've worked hard enough or mm. whether you could have, you know, whether you really sort of took it a bit easy that that time or whatever it may be. And and certainly, you know, with with my teams, so in the past with the leadership positions that, that I've had, I'm very hands-on. 
I'm very approachable. I'm very collaborative. I don't want someone that says yes to everything. I want, I don't have all the answers far from. So I want that engagement. Um, I want my team to be invested just as investors as me, because that's the only way that you get a successful and happy team. It's it's so different in anything, I think, as well. Like even, like I say, you know, off-the-cuff coaching, when when people ask me for a bit of help or a bit of advice or whatever. Um, as I say, I mean, they're invested in straight away in themselves. They have to be. So if they come to you to ask you for advice, they've already been through that pre-thought stage. So now they're, they're, they're trying to actually, they just don't quite know how yet. And they want to ask someone that they feel comfortable doing so or that they see as being successful. So it's that pre-thought, that pre-engagement, that action. And then they just need to be guided really from that, from that, from that piece because they've already made that, that decision, which is fantastic because sometimes that could be a long mm-hmm. time in the making. So really, like I say, I just ask it back of them and say, well, if you're invested or if you've come to this, this point is fantastic. You probably need to go and see a nutritionist or go and get a plan from such and such or, you know, Go to the gym. Have you joined up a gym? What are you doing? You know, they, those types of questions. Um, yeah, and you're really getting me to think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's making that first decision of, yeah, okay, I'm going to go do something about it and then mm-hmm. supporting them in that journey. I'm very glad I've gone for two runs this week, which I haven't done since I had my baby who's now eight months old. So I'm feeling great yes. about my exercise this week. So I'm glad I did. Maybe it was you know, leading to the podcast I knew I had to do, <laughs> uh, get that sorted. So oh, I love all these tips. They're such great insights. And I wanted to just touch on before we wrap up our discussion today around mm-hmm. the bit of change of tact, which is the current sure. recruitment market, what's yep. happening. I know a lot of our listeners are in that space and training and development, looking at talent pipeline. You know, what are you seeing the trends at the moment in recruitment, particularly, you know, there's a lot of conversation around in skill shortages, particularly in, in engineering and STEM. What are you seeing in your industry and in your work? Okay. Certainly in the healthcare sector, there's definitely a a shortage, particularly in Queensland. I know that some, I think it was regional hospitals that had closed fairly recently. It was women's maternity unit, I think. So the issue is as well, during COVID, you had a lot of the COVID dollars propping up a lot of the healthcare and you had a lot of international nurses coming over and chasing the dollars. It might've been say $90 an hour that you might have been looking at back then. It's now no longer the case. The rates are dropping. It's about managing the expectations of those candidates that are coming through and saying those COVID rates are no longer applicable. You know, you're going to have to... So just explaining why, because it's... A lot of candidates say, oh, well, I'll just go to a different agency or whatever it may be. But if you can explain the rationale behind it and say, well, look, this is why um, that is just managing the expectations so that they're not looking elsewhere or so that they're really understanding or educating them what's happening mm-hmm. on the ground, certainly in, in healthcare. We have a huge skill shortage, particularly in occupational therapists and speech therapists. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Mental health nurses, midwives are in huge demand, but we're really trying to focus or shift the focus on the locum contracts or the, the travel contracts, the shorter contracts. We're really trying to work with the different health boards to entice people over for permanent positions. Um, and how do we do that? How do we, particularly in perhaps some of the lesser desirable areas, how do we attract or how do we help them attract permanent candidates so that they're not going through their budget at a, at a huge rate, having to employ agency nurses or people who only come for a short stint? So that's where I come in and work with the different health boards and, and try to come up with candidate attraction strategies to 
really helped drive the permanent site, certainly for, at the moment, for New Zealand nurses, um, obviously local as well, definitely. But it's really looking at the candidate attraction piece to, to say, hey, come and stay. You know, it's a great place to bring up kids. You know, it's a small place. It's a community. But, you know, it's is great. And yeah, do you know what I mean? It's, it's really being able to sell that area and the benefits of that area as opposed to in the past it has been just a short contract, just a short contract. So yeah. it's navigating that at the moment. And... Like I said, particularly Queensland is very, very short on just about anything across the healthcare sector, to be honest. But it's also got the most money at the moment. I mean, the budget fairly recently. So it's about, like I say, working with all the district health boards and working with them to figure out a good attraction piece, really, to, to get people to come and stay. And what I can hear in your, in your sharing is that they're setting a strategy looking at expectations and recalibrating from COVID, which I think a lot of industries need to do. And it's, you know, even in things like office space or, you know, there's so many, it's affected every area of our life. So it's that cool, get that work for that period of time. We got through COVID, we dealt with that. Okay. And now we've got to recalibrate with this new space that we're working in. What are the expectations people have as a result? What are companies saying? And getting one, everyone back, back on the same page. Would that be right? I think so. Well, COVID was reactive. Wasn't it? We were reactive, not proactive, because we were dealing with an unknown and it kept kept changing. So now it's really looking at it, going, okay, well that's now over. And if you think about it, it's almost hard to believe really that that really occurred. Do you know what I mean? And it's quite it's quite strange when you sort of look back. At least for me, it almost seems like a bad dream. But now it's sort of saying, okay, we're through that. We've dealt with that. We learned a lot. We learned a lot through that COVID space. How can we build on what we've learned and what changes do we need to make yeah. from now on? So, yeah, absolutely. And as you say, every industry is recalibrating and relearning and trying to navigate their way through it to, to you know, a positive space, really. Yeah, uh, I'm really impressed by with you is your ability to have a long-term view. And this is my last question for you, which is how do you foster that? Because I think I feel like our attention spans are getting shorter. Everything is being so reactive. We have been reactive over the last couple of years in COVID. Do you have you usually taken a long-term view, or is it that is that something that you've you've developed or you just see that's the real need right now? Because it what you shared in a lot of the conversation today has been around that long-term, that long-term mm-hmm. vision. Yeah, no, I live my life two years in advance, honestly. I'm, I'm like <laughs> one of those people. So I'm very much a planner. I really I, I'm very much a forward thinker. I really look and think, okay, but how's that going to look here? What does healthcare look like in, say, 10 years' time? Because it's not going to look like mm-hmm. it does now. Surely, you know, it's it's going to be more hospital in the home. It's got to take the pressure off the hospitals. Most people want to be nursed at home. Therefore, you know, the shift surely is going to be towards community-based nursing. So this is, this is just my opinion, but that's what I see. I see community-based nursing, less pressure on hospitals, um, happier staff. I mean, you've got, if you look at from a nurse's perspective or a healthcare professional's perspective, they're not having to look for a park and throw all these shifts. And, you know, if they're nursing somebody in their home, they know the person, they've got parking. <laughs> you know, they, they're, they're, they can nurse them better because they're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of benefit that comes from community nursing as well. So I think that that's where the shift will be. 
Uh, we'll see if I'm, if I'm right or not, but but I do. I, I very much live very much in the future. Uh, yeah. Such a great perspective. I'm so grateful that you have been on the podcast today sharing your thoughts. You're an inspiration. I'm going to go practice some more deadlifts up the stairs with my pram. And you've definitely inspired me today. You're officially the coolest person I've ever met on a plane, Sarah. So thank you so much for your time today. It's really given me great perspective and definitely helped me think more strategically and longer term. So thank you so much for your insights and being here. Oh, thanks, Felicity. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much for having me on.